welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I want to talk about forgiveness today, and I have an article here that you can also read. And the reason that I need to talk about forgiveness is because you have been hurt. Somebody has hurt you. You have been offended. You are the victim of the sin of another person. How do I know that? Well, the reason I know that is because you're you're a human, and you're living in a fallen world, and you're living among fallen people, and it is imperative. It is vital that you and I understand this idea of forgiveness. I am not going to give you an exhaustive treatment of it, but I do want to share one aspect of this idea of forgiveness because you need to hear it. If you've heard it before, you need to hear it again because we get hurt over and over, and we can forget that Christians have the ability to do something that nobody else in the world can do. We can receive forgiveness from God. We don't have to carry the guilt and the fear, the shame, the guilt of our sins. And we can also forgive those who have hurt us. But even if those people never come to you and ask for forgiveness, you have the power resident within you to not be controlled or managed by what they did to you, even if they don't ask for forgiveness, even if they die and you never have the opportunity to reconcile, you can still be free. But unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians, many whom you know, perhaps you, that you're not free from the sins of other people and you have been carrying them for years, for decades, and some of the offenders that I'm talking about are dead, and you can't reconcile in any way. I want you to know that you can be free, but this is a complex and difficult concept, and so I trust that the Lord will work in your heart and will help you to be free, to help you to understand the power that is in you and what God is calling you to through your salvation, which is freedom, and He will help you to do that. I'm also aware that we need each other. We need to be part of a community so, so that we can walk with each other through especially these complex things like offenses, being a victim, sins of others. Perhaps you don't have a strong community, a biblical community that can come alongside you or will come along beside you. And I want you to know that we're here. We will, by the grace of God, we'll always be here serving you in some form or fashion, and so I want you to come to us, and you can ask your questions of us. You can engage us. You can also enjoy our resources. We have a sanctification buffet. We're sanctification engineers. That is the aspect of the Great Commission where I focus more than anything else. Love evangelism. Love in interacting with strangers and sharing the gospel with them. But the way that things have worked out primarily in my life is that I focus on the aspect of the Great Commission of teaching others what Jesus has taught us, teaching Christians about this idea of working out their own salvation with fear and trembling, the idea of progressive sanctification. And so we are, we are sanctification engineers, and you're welcome to come to us, and we would love to serve you that way. One of the reasons that we can do that, and I want to say thank you to Walt 
Walt became an annual subscriber of our website, a supporting member at $50 a year. Thank you, Walt, for doing that because it is you, Walt, that releases us to be able to help so many people. Without your support, we can't do that. It's not possible because of all the things that we are doing. And so, Walt, thank you. There's a lot of people that you will never meet. In fact, there are thousands, multiplied thousands that I will never meet, that I'll never be aware of. But I know that God is impacting their lives because we do hear reports virtually every day. Somebody's writing or commenting about something the Lord is doing in their heart through this ministry. And so I know that it's active. I know that it's relevant. I know that the ministry is practical. And I know it can't exist without you, Walt. And so thank you for partnering with us. Thank you also, Bill, who... Uh, recently wrote in and said, I would like to, I don't know if I have anything to offer, but uh, I'm in the field of technology and I would like to look at your technological system, your setup, and if I can offer any insight or help, I would be willing to do that. Did you know you can partner in different kinds of ways, not just financially? Now, Bill is like Walt. He is a supporter also of our ministry but he has a unique gift set, uh, a gift uh, skill set, that's what I'm trying to say. And so he wants to see if he can help us. And so we're going to be meeting soon to uh, see what that looks like. Hopefully that will be something that will make our ministry even better for you. And then thank you pastors everywhere for appealing to your congregation to support us uh, envisioning them and letting them know about this ministry and the opportunity that they can join us in this missional adventure that we are on. I am a cyber missionary. In an omnipresent way, we wrap the globe every day. We're reaching hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, have been for more than a decade now. And so thank you, pastors, for letting your church folk know about this ministry and how they can partner for as little as five dollars a month let's get into this idea of forgiveness because it's one of the hardest concepts for the christian to come to terms with particularly when someone has hurt the believer now that is you you have been hurt i know you have as i said earlier you're a fallen person living in a fallen world among fallen people and it is the victims of crimes who suffer the most. Now, I know that that was true for Jesus. He suffered for my sins. I was the offender in this case. I was the one who hurt Jesus. I was the one that put him on the cross from my chair, from my perspective. It was my sin, the weight of my sin that landed on him. Now, that's what makes the call to follow him all the more complex, doesn't it? It also makes it challenging, and I hope that it makes it compelling. I hope the love of Christ, I hope the reality that he took your sin, he suffered for your sin and had a forgiving heart. He was willing to forgive you for all that you have done against him, that it would make the call to follow him compelling 
Peter talked about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to listen to his language. This is hard. This is one of the harder passages of Scripture that you will ever have to practicalize in your life. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 23 says this, For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. There's one thing, it's one thing to endure sorrow while suffering for something that you did of your own volition. But God says it is a gracious thing when mindful of God, you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to, for to this you have been called. And that's why I said earlier that the call to follow Jesus, I hope that it will be compelling without question. It is challenging, and Peter is saying that you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Here are some of Jesus' steps. Peter outlines them for us. Jesus committed no sin. There's a step that he walked in. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, without question, Christ is our best example to follow him in his death will take you to redemption. Perhaps there are people who are listening to this podcast and you are not a believer. I was talking to my daughter today on the way to school and I was walking through what an atheist is and what an agnostic is and what a believer is. Maybe you're an atheist. Maybe you're an agnostic, which simply means you just don't know. Well, maybe it's time to follow Jesus in his death. And what I mean by that is God is willing to save you. You're dying to yourself and you want to live for God. But to follow, in him, follow him in his death means he will take you to redemption, into progressive sanctification, and eventually into eternal glorification. Anyone can be set free from the relational problems that entangle them. Because the gospel speaks to both the offender and the victim. But beware, that freedom comes with a price. The smell of death is always in the air when forgiveness is the need of the hour. I believe that is one of the reasons there was so, such an active call to die attached to the message of Christ. He said it this way in 923 of Luke, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Are you ready to die? There are a few things more complicated than forgiving someone who has hurt you. And though it is a hard message to hear, there is only one right answer for relational reconciliation. If that correct answer is not applied, the outcome can never be right. 
Some of the saddest people you will ever meet are those who refuse to forgive those who have sinned against them. I have counseled scores of these hurt people, and their stories are truly heartbreaking. Other people have profoundly hurt many of them, and their pain is real and ongoing. Nearly always, any discussion about forgiveness with them is met with deep emotional angst and sometimes hostility. What they need is not a rebuke. Now, this is, I want to speak ever so briefly to the disciple makers, the counselors, the disciplers. It would be so easy to quickly rebuke the person who is holding unforgiveness in their heart. And if that is your first response to these people, there's a good possibility that you really don't understand the depth of the hurt of the individual. More than they need your rebuke, they need gentle, courageous, a biblical caregiver with as much patience and compassion that you can muster. You must lead them to the only freedom they can have, which they will find through the forgiveness of Christ for the one who has hurt them. To care for the victims of a crime, you'll have to be able to steward two contiguous realities. The first one is the hurt they are experiencing, and the second one is is contiguous, connected, contiguous, their need to forgive the person who hurt them. It is imperative that you listen to their story and that you understand the depth of their hurt. This is a reality for them. Sometimes uncaring caregivers will press a person to forgive someone when they are not able to do it at this time. I have been in that place before, and I imagine many of you have as well. As much as you know what the Bible teaches, as much as you know what you're supposed to do, you are to forgive them minimally, attitudinally. But it's not like you can just rise from your bed and shake yourself and everything's going to be okay. You can shake yourself a hundred times. But it's not going to be okay. When someone hurts you, a good analogy is that of a death. When someone close to you dies, you grieve. And as much as you know that God is your hope, God is your strength, God is your ability to overcome, you're not going to overcome this in a day or a week. You're going to go through that season, that blue funk. And even though you know what the right thing is to do, you just can't quite get there. And I'm not asking or suggesting that any caregiver, any counselor or disciple or condone this with the other person, but they must take each person individually and uniquely. That individual may be able to mouth the words, I forgive you, but it won't be authentic until the heart is producing those words. And though they must not hold on to unforgiveness forever, it may take time to work through the complexity of the soul that is required to truly let it go, even if they only are releasing the offender from the heart because the offender has never come forward, forward to transact relational forgiveness. Now, I'm not going to get into this podcast because of time, the difference between an attitude of forgiveness and transactional forgiveness where you can actually transact. 
I, I'll give you a couple illustrations, one of them now. I, I have never been able, and I will never be able, to transact forgiveness with my father because he died in 1978. I was 19 years old at the time. I was not a believer, and neither was he as far as I know, and so there was no transactional forgiveness. That day is dead. It is gone. But I did come to the place where I could forgive him attitudinally to where I was no longer a prisoner of what he did to me. Forgiveness, like nearly everything else in the Christian life, is upside down. Paul talked about how God's ways, when compared to our ideas, appear to be either weak or foolish or both. He talked about that in 1 Corinthians 1. The cross of Christ was amazingly foolish to his disciples. It was so hard to comprehend that they ran away when they were supposed to stay put and make a stand for their leader. A dying man on a tree was counterintuitive to everything they believed and hoped for from God. Now in time, the disciples began to see how the gospel was not what they thought it was. And after being re-envisioned, they reacquainted themselves with the foolishness and weakness of God. And when they did, it, be it began to look like real power and true wisdom. Well, forgiveness is one of those counterintuitive planks in the gospel platform. No matter the pain, no matter the regret, no matter the disappointment, we are called to forgive each other. One of the ironies of unforgiveness is how the victim of the crime is the one experiencing unending suffering. Unwillingness to forgive the perpetrator of the sin will only perpetuate the victim's suffering. Listen to the irony there. It's like the incremental sipping of bitter water each time the victim thinks about what was done to them while holding on to an unforgiving attitude the more they hurt themselves. In most of the cases, the unforgiving person does not fully realize how holding on to unforgiveness makes things worse for them. Unforgiveness never makes things better because God will not bless any person who persists in holding on to an unforgiving attitude toward someone else. In fact, one of the ways that Paul talked about this is in Romans 1.18 where he said, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. That's all ungodliness, not just somebody else, but mine and yours too. And all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, push the truth out of their life, press the truth. Paul was teaching us how the Lord's displeasure rains down from heaven on any person who presses his truth out of their lives. That was the testimony of King David. As long as he kept silent about the sin he carried in his heart, the more he experienced the Lord's wrathful displeasure. You can read about that in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. If the unforgiving person continues to hold on to unforgiveness, he will experience the deterioration of both the body and the soul. Ironically, the perpetrator, the offender, like in this case my dad, the perpetrator of the pain is usually unaware of this soul deterioration effect that is happening to the person he has hurt. My daddy died and... I carried the hurt many years after he 
died, the only person that was in pain, the only person that was suffering, the only person that was struggling was me. He was dead. The perpetrator of the pain was not even aware. It was my soul that was deteriorating by the day because of the effect of what he did to me. Isn't that ironic? It is vital that I get to a state of forgiveness with him, even though we would never transact it. And I did by the grace of God. Now, unforgiveness is just one sin, but like cancer, it will never abide alone. You can't compartmentalize unforgiveness like it's the only thing in your heart. If you leave cancer to its own devices, it will eventually take over the whole person. A gathering constellation of sins will soon emerge with the intent of devouring its prey. I want to give you a non-exhaustive list of some of the more common problems that unforgiving people experience. You can use this list for self-analysis as you examine yourself to see if you are holding on to unforgiveness toward another person. Here's a quick list. Non-exhaustive, I said. One is gossip. The unforgiving person regularly talks in negative ways about others, especially the person who hurt them. Criticalness. The unforgiving person tends to express more negativity than positiveness about life. Joylessness. You would not characterize the unforgiving person as happy, joyful, or hopeful. Self-deceived, the unforgiving person is not willing to see their situation with biblical clarity. I see this all the time on Facebook. A lot of hurt people, mostly women, they're the ones who comment the most. And you see the joylessness, the criticalness in their attitude as they talk about what happened to them. Actually gossiping on a public platform, which is kind of odd to me. Another one is self-deceived. The unforgiving person is not willing to see their situation with biblical clarity. Lying, the unforgiving person tends to spin the truth to put themselves in a better light. And I don't want to be critical here, but it is true. It takes two people to blow up a relationship, never one. Don't be self-deceived about that and don't lie about it by spinning the truth in such a way to put yourself in a better light. Anger, the unforgiving person exhibits various forms of anger. Bitterness, the unforgiving person's ongoing anger eventually turns to bitterness, which is what ang uh, ongoing anger does. It is a da downward spiral effect of unrepentant sin. And then offended, the unforgiving person is defensive and quick to retaliate because they view life through the lens of their hurt. This is a non-exhaustive list of some of the common problems that attach itself like a, like a constellation that emerge with the intent of devouring its prey, the unforgiving heart. I listed gossip, criticalness, joylessness, self-deceived, lying, anger, bitterness, and offended. Sin will not discriminate. Just because you're the victim of a crime does not mean you are impervious to sin's encroachments. The list I gave you is only a few of the possibilities of what can happen to the victim of someone else's offenses. Refusing to forgive a fellow sinner is a posture that perpetuates pain while keeping the victim in a self-erected prison. You have a choice. You can choose freedom. Living in the freedom of a forgiving spirit is one of the hardest things you'll ever do, especially if someone has hurt you. 
I vividly remember working through the process of forgiving my sister-in-law for murdering my brother. That process did not come easy, and that's why I'm not sitting here as your judge condemning you. I come alongside you understanding that this is not an easy process, but it is a call to die to yourself, as I talked about earlier with our call to follow Jesus. I struggle to take my soul to task, especially because she was not asking for forgiveness for murdering my brother. Without the opportunity to forgive her transactionally, I had to wrestle with God to free my soul from the hurt that I carried and my attitude toward her. Now, in time, mercifully, I was able to forgive her at least attitudinally. I do not know if she has asked God to forgive her. I hope she has. I do not know if she's free from her sin, from her crime, but I am. She has not received my forgiveness. She's never asked for her for it, but her lack of asking did not stop me from being fully released from what she did to our family. God has done a miraculous work in my heart for which I am eternally grateful. And though I, I, still, I, I can still cry when I think about my brother, if you meet me at the right time and in the right context, yeah, I will cry as I talk about uh, what happened to him. But even though that's true, I've been set free from the soul entanglements that so easily capture the unforgiving heart. Perhaps you are struggling to forgive someone who has hurt you. It's a pain that I do not need to explain to you because you are living it each day. The reminders are everywhere, and your mind can be so quickly captivated by what that person did to you. For you to walk out of that dark tunnel, you'll need to pray often. And as you pray, you'll need to ask yourself a few hard questions, all of which center on why you are unable or maybe unwilling to forgive the person who has hurt you. When I did my self-examination, there were at least seven reasons why I was unwilling to let it go. I'm going to share those reasons with you while asking you a question for each one. Will you reflect on these questions as you take them to the Lord, especially if you are struggling with unforgiveness towards someone? Here are the seven reasons that I would not forgive. One, punishment. Do you have any desire for someone to, uh, to punish someone? Or do you have any desire for someone to punish the offender, whether it's you or someone else? A desire for punishment will keep you from forgiving at least attitudinally to fearfulness. Are you afraid that forgiving them will permit them to hurt you again? That is very real. Number three, unbelief. Do you believe that God will fully take care of what happened to you? Number four, control. Does unforgiveness allow you to stay in control of the situation? Number five, righteous. Do you believe you're better than the offender? Be careful here. Number six, acceptance. Do you desire the sympathy that others can give you for what happened to you? Some people use their pain in order to garner approval and acceptance and significance and sympathy. 
And number seven, identity. Are you finding your identity in your suffering rather than in Christ? Seven reasons that will hinder you from at least attitudinally forgiving someone. Punishment, fearfulness, unbelief, control, righteousness, acceptance, identity. Only the Lord can grant the repentance necessary for you to let go of unforgiveness. He does this by working his goodwill in you while expecting you to work it out practically. The call to repentance is both active and passive. God grants forgiveness. That's the passive part. And you are to respond to his good work in you. That's the active part. We all have been hurt we all have hurt others. People have sinned against us. We have sinned against them. I trust that you will be able to model your Savior as you appropriate His grace in areas where you need to be changed. Now, if we can help you in any way, as always, please let us know. I want to finish this podcast by giving you some questions to think about as you process it. If you have a friend who can walk with you, please get with that person, and you both pray through this content and these final questions. The title of the article is, When I Won't Forgive Someone. You can read everything that I've just shared with you. Let me wrap it up with a few questions. Number one, have you been sinned against by someone? That's an easy one. Let me answer it for you. Yes, yes, and yes, you have. Has a person hurt you? Yes. Then I want you to describe what happened. Number two, how do you think about that person today? Now my question is getting harder. What is your attitude toward the offender? Number three, are you able to forgive them attitudinally? even though they have not come to you seeking forgiveness for what they did to you? If not, what is keeping you from doing this? Number four, if you cannot at least forgive them in your heart, will you seek the help you need until you can accomplish this? Will you fight for your freedom in Christ? Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net. Rickthomas.net.